Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today's second reading is probably one of the most precious texts in all of the Bible. It's taken from the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, the Philippian community was a Christian community that Paul himself established. So he loved these people. In fact, Philippi was one of the first European cities that Paul evangelized. Prior to this, Paul evangelized throughout parts of Asia, primarily present-day Turkey. And so Paul crosses the Aegean Sea, and he enters Greece. And the first place he goes to is the city of Philippi. And so Paul founded the Christian community there, which means he knows these people intimately. He's probably baptized many of them. He's probably married them all. In fact, Paul has probably eaten dinner in their houses night after night after night. Paul is probably like a figurehead for the Christian community, a father or even a grandfather. He probably knows the names of their children and their grandchildren. And so he addresses this letter specifically to them. Now, the first part of the second reading, Paul addresses something that's important to him, that is vital for any Christian community, especially in our day and age, and that is unity. Notice what Paul says. Complete my joy, being in the same mind, united, thinking one thing. Now, if there's any one thing that made Paul extremely angry, it was division. Division, especially amongst the Christian communities that he established. It reminds me of the saint. The saint is someone whose whole life is about one thing, Jesus, and imitating him to the best of our abilities each and every day of our life. Well, Paul wants the Christian community at Philippi, and now ours, to be about one thing, and that is the same mind of Jesus. Now, why is this important? Because where there is division, there is sin. And Paul saw that time and time again within Christian communities. It was a source of divisiveness and tore the community apart. Well, what precisely is the unity that Paul wants? Unity in mind and attitude of Christ. That's why he continues, having you the same attitude that is also in Jesus Christ. Now, next, Paul gives us this beautiful hymn. It's probably the greatest and the oldest expression of Christian faith. Paul gives us this hymn to describe or express what he's trying to teach us. Paul writes, Jesus was in the form of God did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Now, that statement is probably one of the most powerful statements of Jesus' divinity. It speaks definitively that Jesus Christ is truly God. 
Jesus is not some spiritual leader amongst many. No, he's not a great teacher amongst a few. Instead, Jesus is God. Now, Paul continues, He did not deem equality with God to be grasped that. So much hinges on that affirmation of faith in that statement. Now, where in the Bible do we see someone grasping at something? Well, Adam, Genesis, and the story of creation. And I think here's the point that Paul is trying to make. We all know the story. Adam is duped by the devil into believing that God is no longer a friend, but instead a rival. Therefore, he concludes he wants to be a god himself. And so he's convinced that if he can just eat a piece of the fruit from that forbidden tree, he will be a god himself. And yet Adam, in that moment of grasping for that fruit, what is he really doing? He's grasping at divinity. He wants to be God. And therein lies the fall of grace. Now, ironic enough, the one who is not God is trying to be God. And in that act of grasping for God, essentially original sin is ushered into this world. The great relationship that we once had with God is now lost. We no longer have right relationship with God after Adam. Now, what's the solution? Paul tells us, and this gets at the very heart of Paul's teaching, the solution is Jesus Christ. He empties himself. He doesn't grasp at all. In fact, Jesus is the direct opposite of Adam. The bad momentum of sin that was started by Adam grasping for God had to be stopped and then reversed by the new and positive momentum of Jesus Christ emptying himself. The sin of the world was in some ways like an avalanche in which the things of creation were all moving in the wrong direction. Well, how do you stop something like that with an even greater force? And see, that's what Paul sensed with Jesus. The self-grandizement, the ego of Adam grasping for God, was meant by a self-emptying part of God. And see, that's the only way the great avalanche of sin could not only be met, but reversed. Now, Paul continues. He said, rather he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. What was Adam's real problem? He thought being God meant honor, power, and above all, domination. Well, instead, the divine power of God looks like something. It looks like Jesus' capacity to give himself away, to empty himself. And so that it begs the question, how far did Jesus' emptying go? Well, Paul tells us, to the point of death on the cross. See, death came into this world through Adam, through his desire to be God. And now death is conquered by Jesus Christ, through his willingness to sacrifice himself on the cross so that we might live. And so that the right relationship that we once had before Adam's failure is now restored. See, Adam's mistake is that he thought godliness or divinity meant domination in the inflated ego, which was all about him. Divinity and godliness, yes, it looks like something. It looks like Jesus Christ nailed to the cross, sacrificing himself, completely emptying himself so that we might live. 
and a right relationship is now restored between us and God. Now, towards the end of this hymn, Paul challenges us. We, as followers of Christ, and we are, we must now conform our lives to Jesus Christ. We have to now practice that self-emptying, that self-emptying love in order to serve God and others. And so you say, well, what does that mean, self-emptying? Well, it's a self-emptying of our pride, our ego, our selfishness, envy, whatever it is that prevents us from serving God and others. We empty that ourselves out of those things. To do what? To now be filled with all of God's blessings and all of his God's grace in order to be a follower of Jesus each and every day of our life. In order for us, as Paul says, to be of the same mind as Christ. Now, with that in mind, turn to the gospel. Now we begin to see clearly what Jesus is trying to teach us in that gospel story. Now, if you look at all four of the gospels, Jesus often offers us these stark choices. And there are choices. Jesus gives us all these choices on how we are to live our life. And that's the free will. We have free will from God. God respects that. And so free will for us is a great thing. But it's also a terrifying thing when you think of the consequences that come freely choosing on how we live our life. Now, in this gospel, we have these two sons. Now, these sons essentially represent two paths. Now, the one son represents the path of Adam, the path of ego, self-grandizement, grasping for God. The other son represents the path of Jesus Christ, the path that we all walk, the path of self-emptying love and serving God and others. Now, you may say to yourself, oh, grasping for God, that, that was done during Adam's time. That's not done here in the 21st century. Uh-uh. In fact, I would argue it's becoming more and more prevalent in the 21st century, right here, right now. How so? Well, people are grasping for God, to be like God, in the form of moral relativism. Now, I've spoken about this many times before. Moral relativism is the notion in which the individual says to themselves, I determine what is morally good and evil in this world and above all in my own life. God doesn't do that for me anymore. No, I don't need God for that. I can do that all on my own. Well, if that's the case, then the individual can justify anything. They can justify lying and stealing, gossiping, even killing. Their whole moral life is all relative to what they think is good and e- good or evil. And so, essentially, the individual becomes their own God. Ironically enough, moral relativism essentially accomplishes what Adam set out to do and failed. Friends, the scripture readings, all three of them for this weekend, give us a stark choice between two radically different paths. And we have the free will from God to choose, either or. The first is the path of Adam. It's really the path of self-destruction, grasping for God. The other choice is the path that we all walk on. It's the path of Jesus Christ, self-emptying love, 
serving God and others in this world. And we can. We can continue to choose that path each and every day of our life. Because every day, God gives us all the blessings and all the grace to continue to walk that path. And that path, the destination, always resides in Jesus Christ. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.